Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and I'm the creator of the show Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake because none of us have time to exercise and work out. And me, I'm probably shaking a little bit more than I wish I were. This is going to be a community-hosted podcast, not by me, but by a collection of women all over the country who are going to share their stories, struggles, and solutions, some with their own guests on their episodes, some without. Each one will be a wonderful sampler of a story that you can relate to or that might help you. And I hope that you all enjoy it. Moms don't have time to move and shake. Get moving. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake. My name is Leah Whitman-Moore. I am the author of Loving You Big, One Family Embracing the Unexpected. My writing and storytelling is all about raising a child with a rare disability and her twin tornado brothers. My daughter Jordan, now 11, was born with a chromosomal deletion called Cretasha. And in managing an unexpected life that I did not anticipate, I learned so much about what it meant to be an advocate, but I also learned that I handle most of the stress that comes with it with food. So today I'd like to share with you the five tips that I have learned about my very complicated journey with emotional eating and how I am attempting to balance my life as a full-time high school English teacher, a mom of three, an advocate for kids with disabilities, a writer, attempting to be a person, and not just always finding myself standing in front of the refrigerator. I am so grateful to Zibby and the entire team for the opportunity to share my stories today, especially since listening to her podcast was the only time that I got a little me time. I would grab a stroller, stick on my headphones, and get lost in other people's stories. So I invite you today to do the same. So when I think about my journey with food, I always come back to this story. My husband and I had just had our first child. She was probably six months old, and we needed to return a mattress that we thought was great, and when we brought it home, it didn't feel good at all. And I had just come home from work, and I was wearing a black wrap dress that I remember being so proud of that it was starting to fit again. And we got to the store, and I said to the saleswoman, we would like to return this mattress. Fine, no problem. So she starts the transaction and she says, well, is this an emergency? And I said, of course it's not an emergency. It's a mattress. We have plenty of time. And she she started to look a little bit more frantic. She was moving a little bit faster. She looked up at me often and the baby wasn't crying. We had very calm demeanors. And she said, are, are you sure this isn't an emergency? And I said, we really have so much time. And she looked at me and said, well, aren't you about to give birth? And I said, oh, you think not only that I'm pregnant, but that I'm so pregnant that I'm about to go into labor. And she said, well, I I guess not. And that was about 30 pounds ago. And I often think about this story because here I was at the height of feeling strong and beautiful, a proud mom, and yet I move through the world with people often thinking I'm about to go into labor. It's happened many times, and it's not so good for my self-esteem. So it starts me on tip number one, the all or nothing thinking. The thinking that says, okay, I'm going to start again on Monday, or right after I get home from this vacation, or 
just when the school year ends, that I can just hang on a little longer and I can just eat whatever I want a little bit longer and then I will start. And I could check my credit card records that this is when I started Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or Nutrisystem or the Medical Weight Loss Clinic or Jenny Craig again, that it was always at these moments of time where I said, okay, this is the line in the sand and this is where I am going to change my habits. It's also where I found myself joining Pilates and then Orange Theory and New York Sports Club and then yoga. And when those things didn't work, it's then when I found my emotional support, food therapist number one, the nutritionist, food therapist number two, the hypnotist, that I spent a cycle of years just looking for this fresh start, that if I found the next thing, the newest thing, then I could, I could do this. And yes, I have absorbed that diet culture, which could be an entirely separate podcast. And yes, I absorbed the story that my strong body that can carry my twins up and down flights of stairs somehow wasn't going to be enough, that I needed to be all in or else it wasn't going to be good enough. And when I identify that all or nothing thinking, I can make better choices. I am starting to learn that I can have one cookie and don't have to finish the whole bag, that I can take a few days off of exercising and I didn't blow it all. And I encourage you to think about where this all or nothing thinking might be happening in your life, which leads me to step two, which is the arrival fallacy, that I will feel blank after I do blank. So if I do all of these things, I am going to feel happier. I have said so many times, if I could just lose the weight, I would feel better. I would move through the world lighter. I would feel more like myself. And then what happened is because I didn't lose the weight, I then ate more. Because I ate, I would just eat again. Because I've already started it, why not do it again? And this idea of this arrival fallacy is really what started to hurt me. So I would go all in, I'd lose two or three pounds. I'd have a picture in my mind of what I was going to look like for the big dinner out or the start of the school year or the upcoming wedding. And when I looked in the mirror, I didn't feel that. It didn't help. And it would make me just start eating again. And then I just decided, well, my new barometer should just be if my chest goes out further than my stomach, then maybe I'm still doing okay and sit back on the couch and give up until the next cycle of all or nothing started again. So when I started to do a lot of work about raising a child with a disability and managing the stress of my life, I realized that that also correlated to food and really identifying my stressors. So what was causing me to actually eat? And what I realized is that the amount of stress I had was legitimate. I was worried about my daughter having another seizure. I was worried about my son's sensory regulation issues. Another child has an autoimmune disease. I have 100 essays to grade. I have to figure out what to have for dinner. My stressors might be specific to me, but they're universal for all of us. And I would try the strategies that people would give me. But 
a hot chocolate breath, which is holding a pretend mug and breathing in and out the imaginary smoke, is not going to cut it the same way that stopping at Carvel is going to do it for me. I wanted the immediacy of the food. I wanted to eat whatever I could eat to numb all of those stressors, which leads me to my next tip. And I write it as a post-it note and I put it in all the spaces, which is food is not the solution if hunger is not the problem. So it was very, very easy for me to avoid these complicated feelings. I walked through the days feeling jealous of other people's outfits instead of just admiring them. I was worried about my own mental health. I never figured out when I was going to get to Target to return yet another tunic that didn't work for my body type, which after many hours of scrolling, I have learned is something called a skinny apple. I have learned that I would much rather be uncomfortable with what I could control than what I couldn't. So food was helping me to create that manufactured stress by saying, oh, I feel so nauseous or eating to the point where I felt like I couldn't do anything but sit on the couch. Then I couldn't do anything but sit on the couch. And it gave me permission to escape all of these other uncomfortable feelings. I'm still learning how to move through this one because the stressors of my own life aren't just going away just because I've identified it, but I am learning how to actually ask myself a question. Am I actually hungry right now or is there something else I'm trying to avoid? And is it really better for me to feel nauseous because I ate all of my kids' secret gummy worms Or is it better for me to feel nauseous because I'm truly scared about something going on in my own life? And when I talked to a lot of professionals, they asked me to remove the stressors. They said, well, get the things out of your house that cause you to eat or get the things out of your house that are creating those stressors. But in my particular case, it was my existence. It was my children. It was my family. The Oreo cookies are a tool that helps my daughter navigate throughout her day, and she can handle eating one or two, but I was eating all of them. So I'm learning. I use my therapist to help me understand the feelings that are causing me to eat. I create spaces in the house that are full of food that I really love, and I'm not depriving myself of anything. But in putting all these tips together, I realize I don't have to eat all of it. And it's okay for me to feel some of the difficult feelings that the food was trying to hide. Which brings me to my fifth and final tip. Talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend. I have this little habit I do. When I walk through New York City, I find something about every person that passes me that I think is really beautiful. Or the thing about them that they might not notice themselves. How bright their eyes are, or their really effervescent smile. I've done it my whole life. Yet when I look in the mirror, I am just focusing on all of the things that I am trying to hide. If I can throw on another cardigan or another scarf, despite my really upbeat personality, there is so much about me that I am trying to shield from the world. And if I try to imagine treating myself like I would treat my best friend or even these strangers, 
I can be a little bit kinder. And I found some tips to help me do that. I've audited the images of beauty that I see around me. When I look through my social media, I make sure that I'm looking at people who look like me, people who are fashionable, who are influential, and they carry the same weight that I carry. I am learning to celebrate something about myself beyond just my physical body and also perhaps my physical body. So my shoulders look great in this dress, so I'm going to try to wear that and feel really good about that detail. It's all happening internally, but when I go to spaces, it's so much extra pressure to carry that I can't be fully present where I am because I'm always trying to make sure that my physical body is not causing any extra attention. And the truth is, no one's looking at me. Nobody is caring about what I look like. So if I can expand that kindness, which I seem to have a lot of for everybody else onto myself, I think it might help. So I leave you with this idea of embracing the and of it all. I am someone who struggles with food and I am someone who is proud of my body that I have given birth to three children, two at the same time. I am someone who wished I looked different and I am someone who's learning how to understand how to have a good relationship with food. And if you think about the ands of your own life, that we don't have to be all one thing, it might help us move through this really complicated relationship with food together. And now I'm going to go take another walk and come up with some really witty comebacks of what to say the next time somebody thinks I'm about to give birth. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake. Get moving.